Good morning, everybody. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Um, it's inspiring, it's beautiful, it's powerful, I think, when God's word is read aloud like that. This week I was at a meeting with some of the area youth ministers, and one of them had just gotten back from a conference that he was at, and he was telling us how at one of the sessions or breakouts or something that he went to that they were talking about, how often in our modern sermons we give maybe a couple of minutes just to the Word of God, and uh, the rest of the time is uh, the people like me who think we know a lot, and we come up and we talk about it, and we give our own thoughts about what we think the Word of God is, uh, but, but that there's something powerful in the, the Word of God and just letting it be what it is as it is. And so I thought, you know, that was convicting even in that moment, in that meeting at the coffee shop, and I thought, you know, Habakkuk's a short book. I'm going to be preaching on it on Sunday. I think it will be beautiful. I think it will be good. I think it will be powerful for it to just be read over us. And so thank you to those high school students who willingly got up here and read that for us. Um, and in fact, I actually, uh, when I'm done here, I'm going to invite them back up before we take communion uh, to read that for us again. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and get those out. Um, I always like when I preach or when I teach, especially from the Bible, uh, for you guys as the audience to see what it is in your own Bible, uh, what it is that I'm pointing out or highlighting for us. Um, but Habakkuk, the prophet, the man of God. Uh, like I said last week, Habakkuk is towards the end of your Old Testament. He's a prophet. He's in what we would call the section of the prophets known as the minor prophets, uh, or more specifically, the book of the 12. Those last 12 books of your Bible are what we would call the, the, the book of the 12. Those were all on one scroll originally. They're meant to be read together. Malachi, Amos, Hosea, all of those, those 12 books in that collection are meant uh, to be read together. And the purpose, uh, what a prophet does, their job, let me help clarify that. The prophet, think of them as the mouthpiece for God. A prophet is God's mouthpiece to God's people or the nations or to their leaders. And then the prophet's message uh, was usually consisted of three things. A prophet's message usually had three, like these were a token of a, of a normal prophetic message. It had a rebuke, it had a warning of coming judgment, and then it had the promise of redemption. So the prophet, their job was to be the mouthpiece of God to the people, and their message, was usually, which usually consisted of rebuke, warning of coming judgment, and the promise of redemption. And having just heard the entire book of Habakkuk, uh, it might be a little bit difficult to identify those three elements uh, and to be honest, uh, Habakkuk is unlike most of the other prophetic books in that Habakkuk is a dialogue between the prophet and God himself, uh, which is why I asked two people to read for us so that we can kind of see uh, the, the call and response sort of nature of the book. In chapter 1, which we looked at last week, it was Habakkuk's first complaint. If your Bible has subheadings, sometimes they're not that helpful, uh, the subheadings, and sometimes uh, I think the... The translators, they get them wrong in what they're maybe trying to break up or talk about. But I think in Habakkuk, they do a really well job. Uh, the first subheading, if your Bible has subheadings, is uh, Habakkuk's complaint. And that's what Habakkuk is doing throughout this small little book. He's complaining. Uh, he is complaining to God about all of the violence, the injustice, the, the treacherous acts that he sees going on around him. 
And he asks God, when are you going to do something about it? Uh, And I don't know about you, um, unless you are just like super secluded or live under a rock, like it doesn't take long to look outside and to see the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world and to think if you've ever prayed, God, when are you going to do something about this? When are you going to act? And that's something that I think we can all relate to uh, with Habakkuk. And if you keep reading right after he's done with his first complaint, God responds. And maybe that's a surprise to you, or maybe it's not a surprise to you, depending on where you come from. And what your relationship with God looks like is that God responds to Habakkuk. And the answer that God gives Habakkuk about the Babylonians being the ones who come and who will be God's instruments of judgment and justice, it's one that Habakkuk finds both comforting and confusing. God tells Habakkuk that he is raising up the nation of Babylon and that through Babylon, judgment and justice will come to the brokenness that you see in your world. And as I'm sure you can imagine, I know I can imagine that answer. Yes, it is comforting. It's good to know that God will act. God is going to do something. But it's confusing because God's telling me that he's going to act in a way that maybe I don't expect or in a way that I don't necessarily want. And I think back to what Tim said last week about this oracle that Habakkuk is given, this prophecy. This is burdensome. How am I to relay this message to my people that judgment and justice is coming, but it's coming from a nation that is even what appears to be more corrupt than we are? Habakkuk is probably left asking questions like, well, what are, what are these people going to say? How are they going to respond? What are they going to do? How do you explain to someone that your sin is bad, you will get punished for your sin, but your punishment is actually going to come from a people group that is worse than you are, or at least appears to be worse than you are? The message of God to Habakkuk throughout the entire book, it's one of comfort, but it's also one of confusion. And so we're going to be picking up where we left off last week at the end of Habakkuk's second complaint, starting in verse 1 and through the end of chapter 2 to God's response, which makes up most of chapter 2. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. I have um, three things that Habakkuk is not about in his book. Three things that Habakkuk is not about. Habakkuk, when you read it, Habakkuk is not talking about the justice of God. Nowhere in the book does Habakkuk give a clear, or does God give a clear reason as to why what is happening is happening. The second thing that Habakkuk is not about is Habakkuk is not about human doubt. It's easy to think that Habakkuk's complaining, he's doubting God, but I would argue that it's actually the opposite. It takes great faith, it takes great confidence to approach God and to ask him hard, difficult questions, especially ones that we might not get the answers to or like the answers that we get. And then the third thing Habakkuk is not about is Habakkuk is not about human suffering. Habakkuk is not about the helplessness that we sometimes face when we look evil in the eye. God does not give clear reasons as to why what is happening is happening in this little book. However, there are two themes that I think do run through the book of Habakkuk, that I think we can say Habakkuk is about this. The first thing, Habakkuk is about God. 
These will show up on screen. The book of Habakkuk is about God. It doesn't talk a lot about us or our position. This is a book that is very theocentric, God-centered, not anthropocentric, not human-centered. And then the second thing that Habakkuk is about is Habakkuk is about the purposes of God. It is about God's will coming to pass. It is about God's plan for creation being realized. And then the third thing, and the thing that I want to focus in on this morning, is that Habakkuk is about living in the meantime. Habakkuk is about living in the meantime. And what does that mean? What does it look like to live in the meantime? After God tells Habakkuk that Babylon is coming, Habakkuk asks him, God, how is this possible? How are your plans going to be brought about by such a treacherous nation. And if you look at the end of Habakkuk's second complaint, starting in chapter 2, which we'll have it up there on screen, you see the audacity, or what the Hebrew authors would call hetzvah. It's that, like, it's that, I guess the modern, it's that inner dog. They got that dog in them. Students know, you got, you got that dog in you? I know you guys know. They've got this courage to approach God. Habakkuk has this courage to approach God and ask, God, what are you doing? How does this make sense? And God responds throughout the rest of chapter 2. And that's where we're going to pick up. God's going to give his second response. And it's going to give us some insight into what God's plan is for creation and how his purposes will be fulfilled. Chapter 2, I'll have it up on the screen for you guys. It's broken into two distinct parts. There's two parts that make up chapter 2. The the first part of chapter 2 is God's second response to Habakkuk. God's second response to Habakkuk. And then the second part of chapter 2 is God's announcement of judgment on or toward the Babylonian people, the one who Habakkuk is complaining about. And that second part, God's announcement of judgment, is broken down into uh, five different woe articles. So if you see in your Bible that word, Woe, or if you're reading from an older translation, it may say, Alas. I was reading, uh, I still haven't finished The Lord of the Rings. I know it's past my January due date, um, but I haven't finished Lord of the Rings yet, so, so this will be 13 months. Um, but last night, one of the characters said, Alas. And I was like, Yes, it's a great example of woe, like woe is us, woe to this. Um, and so there's these five woe uh, oracles that make up. The, the bulk of chapter 2, and then the reason for these. So why judgment is coming towards the people. The first two, they're very similar. Unjust economic systems. The third, slave labor. The fourth, irresponsible leadership. And then the fourth, and most common that we see throughout all of the Old Testament prophets, is idolatry. And here's why I want to point this out. These oracles, these prophecies, these burdens that the prophet feels... These are words from God announcing his judgment on the nations. When Habakkuk complains about the unjustness of the Babylonians being the ones who are going to be God's instruments, God responds and says they are not as innocent as you think they are, and that judgment is also going to be coming for them. Again, a message of comfort and a message of confusion. Because more than likely, Habakkuk is not going to live to see the day of this day of judgment for the people who are going to destroy his people. And I think there's something that we can take away from this idea as we consider what it means to live in the meantime. 
And that is that as we wait, as we live in the meantime, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how we may not live to see the fulfillment of God's promises, God's ultimate purpose for his creation will come through. God's ultimate purpose for his creation will come as we live in the meantime. And I know I just mentioned the, the book that I've been reading for 13 months. Um, and I know not everyone in here is a reader. Uh, for those of you readers, uh, kudos to you. I would like to maybe consider myself one. But again, it's taken me 13 months to read a child's novel. So uh, take that for what you will. Um, I'm getting there, though. I've got like less than 50 pages. So, and I actually had to force myself to read it last night. But I know not everyone's a reader. But if you've ever read a book, have you ever noticed how sometimes between chapters... There's just like a blank page. Like, it's like the chapter ends over here, and then you've got the next page, and it's totally blank. There's nothing on either side of it. Like, this is chapter 7 that just ended, and then there's a blank page, and then chapter 8 begins. Um, The student in me tells me that uh, the publisher required just like a page count, and the author couldn't hit it. So he's like, I'm just going to throw a blank page in there. I just got to get this book done. Uh, Instead of increasing the the periods after all my sentences to like double the font to maybe get some extra pages out of it. I'm just going to add a blank page, you know. Um, Or sometimes uh, I think, I wonder, I'm like, is the author like, are they trying to get me to do something? Like, what's their aim with this? Like, am I supposed to be thinking about something they just told me and like jotting down some notes? Like, what is the purpose of this blank page? What's the, what's the, the point of this gap between chapter X and chapter Y? And here's what I think. I think about when it comes to this idea of living in the meantime, it's a lot like that blank page between chapters. Unfortunately, for ourselves, for our lives, we can't just go on to the next chapter as quickly as we can when we read a book. I think too often for ourselves, we find ourselves in seasons of life where we're just kind of on that blank page. I think of my own seasons of life after college, before I started here, it was this living in the meantime. I feel like God has called me into ministry, but why am I working for a nonprofit? Or God had called me into student ministry, but why am I working in a nonprofit doing minor home repairs in like a, the missions context? Like this was, this was confusing. This was living in the meantime. It's that page that breaks up a chapter that we're just asking questions like, why is this here? What are we supposed to do right now? Where are we going? How does this story going to continue? And that's what I think this little book of Habakkuk is all about. I think Habakkuk, especially in chapter 2, is all about learning to live in the meantime. Habakkuk is a book that is for God's faithful people living in the meantime of what God has promised and its coming fulfillment. Habakkuk is about living in the meantime of what God has promised and God's word being fulfilled. God had promised to bless the Israelite people, but life for God's people, especially through Habakkuk's eyes, didn't look too well. It looked like everything but blessing. In fact, it looked like the total opposite. In fact, God even told him, things are going to get worse before they get better. And so the question that Habakkuk has, I think, is the same question that all of us have. 
How do we, as lifelong followers of Jesus, how do we live in the meantime? And I think God gives us the answer in chapter 2, verse 4, when he says this. He says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. How do we live in the meantime as followers of Jesus? The righteous person will live by his faithfulness, his referring to God. The lifelong follower of Jesus will live by the faithfulness of their Father in heaven. To live in the meantime is to live by his faithfulness. And for some of you in the room, maybe you're wondering or maybe you know you're in a blank page right now. You're in that season of life where you're coming out of something, but you haven't quite yet gotten to go into the next part of your story. For some of you, that may be a, a career change or a career choice. You know, you have your dreams set upon something, but every time what appears to be an opportunity for you to do that, it just slips on right by. For others of you in the room, Maybe you have no more tears left to cry because of all the sickness and death that you've been surrounded by. And you're wondering what is on the other side of all of this. Where is God's goodness in this season? It's hard for me to not think about students, middle schoolers, high schoolers, who face pressures, stress, and anxiety about what life is supposed to look like after high school. Do I go to college? Do I get a job? Do I go far away? Do I stay close to home? Whatever I do, how am I going to pay for it? What does it look like to live well in the meantime? It's to live by God's faithfulness. All of us know we have experienced what it is like to live in the meantime. To live in the space between what God has said and the fulfillment of God's promise. And if you think about it, we all know what it is like to be on that blank page whether for a day, for a week, for a month, or for years. And it can feel like we're stuck, it can feel hopeless, and it can leave us wondering like Habakkuk, how is this the answer? How does God's promise come to fruition in this season? How is Babylon the answer? How does exile fix this, God? How does enslavement bring about your kingdom? And here's what I want to end with. I want to end with that main idea up on the screen. <clears throat> it's that as lifelong followers of Jesus, we live in the meantime by living in God's faithfulness. And when it comes to living in God's faithfulness, I want to say <clears throat> two things. First, to live by God's faithfulness, it does not mean that we cannot ask deep or difficult questions. I think Habakkuk shows us, he gives us the right to approach God boldly and ask the hard, deep questions that linger in the darkest parts of our soul. Second, to trust or to live by God's faithfulness, it does not mean that we have to pretend that everything is okay. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we try to toss the, the joyful. I was going to say happy, but we're good Bible-believing Christians, so I'll say joyful. That's a joke. <clears throat> um, we try to just pretend everything's okay. Life's joyful. We're happy. Too blessed to be stressed. That's what I was telling Emmett and Lincoln this morning. I was like, boys, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. Meanwhile, I was super nervous for this morning's message. Um, but life is painful. The world is cruel. 
And we're allowed to experience those emotions. Just because we are followers of Jesus does not mean we have to wear that joyful face 24-7. But to live in the meantime, to live by God's faithfulness, I do think it means one thing. I think it means to live in a way that allows hope to persevere. It's to live in a way that allows hope to persevere. It's to be confident that no matter what you're going through, as you're living in the meantime, however long that season may be, God is good. And we don't live by our faithfulness. I'm not good at being faithful. I'm 27 and I realize that. I'm not good at being faithful. But I don't have to live by my faithfulness. I live by God's faithfulness. Though bad things happen, though the corrupt appear to be succeeding, God will deal with the injustices of our world. And it may not appear how we want it to, but regardless, we are called to be righteous and to live by God's faithfulness. Which herein lies the paradox of the cross itself. How does the cross, the instrument of death, bring life? Why is the call from Jesus to die to ourselves so that we can truly live? The call to follow Jesus, it's to trust, it's to live by Jesus' faithfulness, knowing that what he has done is enough. And it's why we take communion each week. Communion, it's the public announcement that we make each week, not just to ourselves, but to those around us, that somehow, while we live in the meantime, we don't live by our own faithfulness. We live by the faithfulness of someone who died so that we could live. Something that I think we learn from Habakkuk is that God is big enough for our doubts. God is big enough for our concerns. God is big enough for our waywardness. No matter where we are on the faith journey, God remains patient. God remains loving. And he remains adamant that we can always come back to him. And that's the message that I think comes through a little more clearly when we can sit and hear the message of Habakkuk read in its entirety. Make no mistake, it is good just in general to hear God's word read aloud over us. There is blessing and there is fruit that comes from that. But I also think that for a little book like Habakkuk, it's good to hear it and to ponder and to think, what does it look like for me to live well here in the meantime, to live by God's faithfulness? And so as we go into this time of communion, I'm going to invite Nolan and Sydney back up on stage. And I want them to read through it for us one more time. And I don't know about you, I'm a, I'm a kinesthetic person. Uh, and if that's you, I would encourage you maybe to just open your hands. And as they read, just ask God, what is it? What does it look like for me to, to live faithfully by you today? Or what is this season? What is it? What do I need to do to be the righteous one who lives by your faithfulness. And after they read, I'll come up and I'll lead us in the taking of communion. How long, Lord, must I call for help? 
but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem is in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. But buildings, earth, and ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incest to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation of waits an anointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Will not all of them taunt him in ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake, wake you and make you tremble? Then you will become your prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his upright and unjust gain, selling his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruins of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who drinks and gives his neighbors pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be, for, you will be filed with shame instead of glory. Now is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. 
The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities, and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says wood, come to life, or lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered in gold and silver, there is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Lord, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood in the stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of the wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. As we enter into this time of communion, as we live in the meantime, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. For the sovereign Lord is my strength. And so we take the body of Christ broken for us and we eat. And we take the cup and again I say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. For the sovereign Lord is my strength. We drink. Let's pray. God, no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, we choose to be joyful in you. You are 
our strength. And so, Father, teach us again today to not live by our own faithfulness, but to be righteous and live by your faithfulness, trusting that no matter what comes, that your ultimate plan will come to fruition. Trusting that somehow death brings life. And so, Father, we ask as we enter into this time of worship that your Holy Spirit would renew us again today. In Jesus' name.